Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about SEO in Shopify, how you can get traffic results on Shopify. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Kevin. How are you, man? Hey, Anatoly. Good to be here. Thank you. Oh, for me, it's a big pleasure because I know you're super active to share content. Uh, you know, I, I often see your content everywhere. You live stream on your uh, internal platform. You know, yeah, uh, I was two times there. Uh, love it, you know, so uh, yeah. So I'm so excited to learn more about that before we start Thank just you. tell more about your self-experience background and why you decided to share with us about shopify yeah thanks so much uh, so much uh, anatolia very kind i appreciate it uh and i'm super pumped to be here um so i've been in seo for a long time uh let's call it that and had the pleasure to work for different companies in the SaaS space uh in, in the marketplaces space and and now in uh, in e-commerce with shopify uh, I ran um, Shopify as director of, uh, sorry, I ran SEO as director of SEO at Shopify. Uh, previously, I was uh, VP of SEO and content at G2. And before that, I ran SEO at Atlassian. So um, I have quite some experience understanding. And at Shopify, I was able and lucky to look at some of our best performing merchants and see kind of what works really well and how some merchants um, approach the topic of SEO. So, you know, it was, it was a great time and uh, gave me a lot of super valuable insights into what, you know, how to do it and what matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I often see your content. I know about that, that you are so good with that. That's why I'm so excited. Uh, I have the first question. Tell me, uh, for example, uh, why people are thinking that Shopify is not good for SEO? Uh, I can uh, hear about Wix the same, that uh, only WordPress, you can get traffic only by using WordPress. Can you tell why people are thinking like this? Yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, one is that to you know to implement certain things uh, from an SEO perspective, you have to touch liquid code in Shopify, unfortunately. Uh, and then the other thing is that I think a lot of SEOs have come up on WordPress. And they're used to a very modular CMS where you can do pretty much everything with plugins. And part of that is also thanks to great plugins like Yoast that allow you to customize a lot and do a lot. So a lot of people come with, you know, they're, they're used to those kind of uh, CMS and those kind of platforms. And Shopify works slightly different. The philosophy behind building the Shopify product is actually to, to provide as much as necessary and then made everything else possible. That's kind of the official, one of the official product principles from the company, right? And so um, there's certainly a lot of things that that you know Shopify could do, um, or that Shopify could provide to make it easier for SEOs to change things. Um, but there are a lot of things that that Shopify takes an, a stance on, or that Shopify has an opinion about. One example is uh, site speed or core web vitals. Actually, Shopify takes it very, very seriously and they actually they have one of the fathers of core web vitals working at shopify which is uh Ilya gregoric who used to work at google being part of developing core web vitals and is now working at shopify and of course has a huge influence on the product in itself and i would you know personally i mean th there's a lot of um, objective uh, statistics and data out there about how core web vitals for shopify compare to other platforms so everybody should check it out for themselves but i think the product generally does a good job and that goes back to the philosophy of how the product is built you know there is an opinion in the product there's some pre-optimization in the product uh and everything else is kind of possible but sometimes you have to touch code a little bit mm -hmm. yeah yeah valuable uh can you tell uh which 
companies or products or niches, it's better not to uh, try on Shopify or, or avoid it. I don't know. But, uh, for me, uh, I'm not good with Shopify because uh, I pay a lot of attention with content marketing, blogging. Uh, and I think, yeah, WordPress is great with that. What about Shopify? Can I blog on uh, Shopify and create high quality, valuable content, uh, nice looking content for my audience? Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny because there are all sorts of of sites on Shopify. There's even a conference uh, that mm -hmm. that uses Shopify or several, and they sell the tickets as an e-commerce uh, product, which I found very uh, very creative. I think the reality is that you know, if you sell um, physical products in the classic sense of e-commerce, I think Shopify is a great option for you. If you have a content-driven site, it's probably less of a great option for you. Uh, even though you know the content capabilities of Shopify are constantly evolving, um, it's not it's not primarily meant to be a content CMS, right? And it's often compared to uh, WordPress or Wix, but you probably have to rather compare it to WooCommerce, right? Or to maybe Magento or to BigCommerce. Um, and the mm -hmm. thing is that. The storefront, which is really kind of the, the visible part to, to customers, um, that that's only a small part of Shopify, right? And there's a, a whole red tail attached to it, attached to it, like a checkout solution, a fulfillment network, you know, uh, Shopify pay, capital, all these kind of other things. So um, it's probably not the best site if you want to blog or the best, uh, sorry, the best CMS uh, if you want to mm -hmm. blog. Uh, and then Shopify gets better and better when it comes to digital products as well. So if you sell, you know, um, beads or if you sell PDFs or books or like digital books or that kind of stuff, that's where Shopify, I think, is now in a much, much better place and can actually be also used quite well. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Uh, I'm interested about technical optimization. For example, uh, I, I want to ask some questions that people are asking me, uh, and they want to know how to optimize content with technical optimization. For example, when we check out on Google Search Console, PageSpeed Insights, many other tools, Screaming Frog, and we can get a bunch of uh, mistakes, errors, and we need to fix them. Web developers can't uh, fix all of them. Can you tell how to find critical errors and how it's possible to fix them on Shopify? Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing, a uh, great question because I know that you know a lot of people um, they they sometimes see. So, for example, there, there are tag pages um, that are kind of duplicates and they're canonicalized back to the to the root category page. So, depending on how you set up uh, your Shopify store, that can be duplicate pages, but they're de they're by default canonicalized back to the root categories, and um, in the newer themes. Um, that that problem doesn't occur anymore. So if you use the Dawn theme, that problem is, is not a problem anymore. And I know that you know some SEOs are concerned about crawl budget. However, I, I took a, a, a deep look into all these shops. I don't think it's a problem. Uh, I know it's a weird setup, and we have solved that in a new theme. So my first recommendation would be to use a newer theme. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's part of the challenge when you run a, a CMS platform with third-party developers is that not every developer will, you know, build themes or storefronts in the most SEO-friendly way. way. Um, and that's where, you know, where, where Shopify has kind of improved their guidelines to, to help developers and make sure that, you know, these kind of um, things don't come up. Um, but, yeah, long story short, use a new theme. Uh, and typically, if you see these these duplicate tag pages, they typically don't have an impact. They typically don't matter. Google understands the canonical, doesn't waste too much crawl budget on it. So that should be fine.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I have the question about, uh, for example, if uh, I have some checklist uh, that I usually check out before uh, creating content or choosing CMS, uh, and uh, uh, one recommendation is to, to analyze your competitors, their CMS system. For example, if all my competitors have uh, different platforms, not Shopify, and they rank well uh, in the top 10 results, uh, it's a good idea trying to uh, compete with them by using Shopify, or it's better to choose uh, platforms that they use? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would say it depends on on kind of uh, your inventory and your vertical. Also, how the how the store is set up. You know, not every Shopify store is set up the same way. Uh, you can use um, a headless solution for Shopify, which is hydrogen, and then build custom solutions. Uh, so if you want to have more impact on content or build more custom content type, for example, you can combine Sanity IO with a headless setup of Shopify. So there are all sorts of constellations. And the big question is really, what does your inventory look like? So do you sell, do you have the same inventory as the competitor or do you have slightly different inventory? Uh, what does the business model look like? And what is the SEO landscape as well? Is it, are you competing in a very high competitive uh, keyword kind of um, uh, field? I mean, are, with high keyword difficulties, uh, how long established have your competitors been? Have they been on the market for 10 years or or 10 months? Uh, these are all, all factors that go into answering that question. But, you know, typically, um, I think the the way that you set your site up matters more than what CMS you use because most CMS are very customizable or you can at least make most changes on them to a degree you want. So the question is much more, you know, how can you strategically uh, find a competitive advantage against your customers? Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. competitors. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, I have the question about creating the right strategy. For example, uh, I check out a few studies that blogging brings uh, plus 50% of all online traffic. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, for example, on Shopify, I can uh, customize my content uh, with e-commerce. Uh, if I need to cover all, uh, I don't know, like uh, buying journey uh, to uh, create this sales funnel, can you tell how to do it on Shopify if uh, WordPress is better with blogging, but I need to use in my strategy? Yeah, for sure. I actually think it's a great idea to use content in your e-commerce strategy because the reality is that as a, you know, a shop is kind of at the end of the customer journey, but people mm -hmm. have questions before that. They want to compare products or maybe they want to get a buyer guide. They want to understand how to pick the right um, product for, for them. And so I think those two should go hand in hand. And you can still build out great content on Shopify. There are lots of great examples. I think matcha.com is a great example. They have some uh -huh. great guides. Um, uh, Firebelly Tea, which is the... Uh, the side project of Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify, uh, they do a great job in just explaining like how do you make green tea and how do you you know do it the right way and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then another example would be the Bullet Journal, which uh, they sell journals and you know they part of the content they create is interviews with thought leaders in the space like Cal Newport to you know explain how to use journals for minimalism or some uh, some creative approaches to what to journal about. So. I think I think using content to drive more sales is a fantastic idea, uh, and you can do that on the blog itself. And you can create custom post types for the Shopify blog to create them in a in a in a way that that suits you best. You know, if you want to have products in the actual content, 
or if you want to have certain graphical layout styles in the content. Um, I would say the only downside is that you, you probably need to touch the code or you need to work with a developer um, who knows about who knows how to use Shopify to create some of these custom styles, but everything else should be uh, absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable, valuable. Uh, Kevin, uh, I often see when you share content uh, about SEO, digital marketing, not only about Shopify, that's why I'm, uh, I'm interested about that as well. So can you tell how to create the right strategy uh, for a new website. For example, if uh, I decided to create a new website, uh, it doesn't matter what type of CMS I choose. Uh, can you tell how to create the right strategy? Because when uh, our, for, uh, let's imagine that uh, competition is fierce, extremely hard to uh, rank your keywords, how to find the right strategy for uh, such niches? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question, you know, and I think it all starts kind of with um, a good overview of what keywords are most important and what people are really searching for. And, you know, one of the things that, that I, that I see over and over again is that too many SEOs, they, they did just look at keywords in a keyword tool and then they never look at the search results. Right. And then they miss mm -hmm. all sorts of things. So one example is images. Uh, Google shows a lot more images for, um, for, uh, e-commerce keywords and a lot more videos. And that mm -hmm. can be a huge competitive advantage. If you have a fierce competition and uh, you cannot, you know, you have a hard time ranking in the top three against your competition, maybe there's an image carousel that's being displayed very high at, uh, on the search results page. Uh, and you can you can just optimize or create some amazing images to rank in that image carousel and then maybe, you know, bypass or shortcut. Uh, your competitors. So there are all sorts of things in the search results themselves. I also mentioned video uh, or maybe even popular product carousels. Um, and I, I think too few SEOs are paying attention to them because they're too deep in the tools and not enough in the search results. Uh, and, you know, it's almost like a, like the scene in Indiana Jones where he gives his students the advice to get out of the library. And as SEOs want to get out of the tools and want to spend some time in Excel uh, search results to see where the competitive advantages are and what the search results look like. Another example would be to use rich snippets, like review rich snippets, uh, or um, FAQ rich snippets to get more attention in the search results and potentially compete better against your customers. So I think you can compete on several dimensions. It doesn't always have to be position. Sometimes it can also just be attracting more attention or ranking in a SERP feature and, and getting more traffic in that sense. So that, that's how I would think about it and approach it. Yeah, you hide my secrets, you know, <laughs> how I create my strategy. Because, you know, I, I often see when uh, webmasters can't get results for a few years and they came and tell me, I don't know what's going on. Please uh, check out. And uh, when I see their keywords, it's like they took them from HRF, SEMrush, any other tools, high volume keywords. I don't know, guys, how to promote weight loss supplements when you started from scratch or uh, weight loss, any others. And uh, yeah, I love the strategy to, to search for keywords by using uh, not popular tools, not HRFs, not SEMrush. We have some tools that uh, check out keywords on Reddit, on Wikipedia, because uh, people go to these platforms when they can't find uh, stuff on Google. So uh, they have yeah. no other choice to ask on Reddit. So That's yeah. a super smart strategy, Anatoly. I love that. Uh, I love looking for hashtags. I love looking on... Uh, you know, especially in the e-commerce space, looking on Instagram, TikTok, nobody does that, right? But that's where, if you see a hashtag on TikTok with a million mm -hmm. uh, videos or views, of course, there's some demand for that type of stuff, right? So yeah. I think, you know, we, as you said, like we're, we're too, 
fixated on this old school way of looking at keywords, making sure it has search volume on keyword planner and then going after that. But we're not, we're not doing the work of actually looking at all the other stuff that's happening in the real world that impacts actual users. YouTube is another example, right? There's a lot of very interesting stuff on YouTube that you don't sometimes find on Google, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's there's a lot more you can learn, a lot more tools you can leverage. And another example is that people also ask Mojio, right? There's a, a couple of tools that will tell you what appears in the PAAs for a certain keyword. That's that's gold. There's great questions. These these PAAs get a lot of engagement. So I feel like as SEOs, we can sometimes be a bit more creative. And I'm, I'm saying that as a very analytical person myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, it doesn't mean that we don't need to use tools. I love using Ahrefs, SEMrush, by the way. Ahrefs uh, explain me for some podcasts, but, you know, I, I just want to tell that uh, you need to find uh, features, uh, go deeper, you know, on Ahrefs uh, to use Content Explorer, to use filters, to spend time if you can't uh, analyze other tools, check out manually. So uh, you need to find advantages of these tools and don't copy others because generic stuff doesn't work. And I like that you mentioned about video content because uh, according to a few studies, you can rent content in the top uh, 10 on YouTube for 24 hours. Uh, so if you create something better, much better, uh, excitement video, why not? Uh, even 55% of all searchers have video content in the top 10 results. Mm. So, you know, uh, I remember when I shared a study that only 7% of new pages get ranking positions in the first year. On YouTube, you can do it for 24 hours, even to rank them on Google, because uh, 55% of those searches have video content. So yeah, love yeah. it, love it. Yeah. Love that. yeah, there's so much, you know, like marketing always changes and marketing is evolving yeah. and consumer behavior is evolving as well. And, you know, I've been in this game for now a bit over 10 years and I understand that it's very difficult to not do the thing that works, right? To like mm -hmm. question whether what you're doing is still the best thing or if you need to evolve and advance because once you found something that works, right? It's it's like a drug. You want to keep leaning into your strength and that's a good thing, but you cannot forget all the other thing that's happening. And if you compare the search results today against 10 years ago, it's day and night. It's not the same game anymore. So, yeah. you know, there's that me ranting about SEOs needing to be more creative. Uh, you, uh, my secret to rank uh, 10 years ago was simple. I bought more backlinks than uh, all my competitors had, you know, and Google ranked well all my content, you know, yeah, that was a good time. But one day that was dropped in one day, I lost the, the first version of Penguin, everything, you know, and I got it. No way. I need to learn more about white hat SEO because, you know, at that time I didn't know anything about uh, white hat SEO. I just knew. If I bought backlinks, I uh, got ranking positions. So uh, yeah. I remember when you shared uh, about podcast episode with Tim Solo from Ahrefs. And uh, I asked you in the comments, uh, ask him about golden buttons. I know <laughs> it's hard to find them. Uh, I don't know, even possible to find them. But can you tell uh, what, uh, because, you know, uh, for me, it's hard to find time to consume all valuable content online uh, <laughs> because many other things to do. Uh, what Tim Solo uh, shared with you about uh, achieving uh, high results that Ahrefs has? Yeah, you mean uh, how he drove the results uh, in yeah. terms of organic traffic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Tim is a very, very interesting person. You know, I feel like Tim is very creative uh, mm -hmm. and he has a unique skill set that also fits very well to the company Ahrefs because Ahrefs is not, you know, they, they don't measure a lot of metrics. They're not very 
data. Um, I mean, they're data obsessed, but they're not. They're not thinking in the same realms about data than other companies, right? They don't set marketing goals in that sense, and I think that gives them a certain freedom to do marketing in a very different way and think about, you know, what would be cool or what would resonate with myself, you know, and that's that can be great if you're part of the audience. Uh, because you reason from a different perspective and a different angle. So um, I think part of what what Tim or what has made it so successful is that Tim was able to implement a vision that is very much based on being different than other companies on doing mm -hmm. things differently. Yeah. Even stuff like the, you know, they have the statistics of the article on the actual article, like on the right sidebar, there's a, something that says like uh, X backlinks and views and all that kind of stuff, right? It's even these small kind of details or the uh, campaign where they invest a lot of uh, money into optimizing their homepage and the copy on the homepage or the campaign where they stopped all their advertising spent and gave it to uh, influencers and thought leaders and all that kind of stuff. So they, they often venture out of the norm. They have a very testing driven mindset, but in a different way than other companies. And I would, you know, I would actually compare it um, to, or my best analogy would probably be Apple versus Google, both mm -hmm. incredibly successful companies. Yeah. And they have a very, very different approach to operating. At Google, they they a B test everything, right? They they run these famous thousand tests to find the right shade of blue for you know for their font and these kind of things, uh, and of course that's a bit hype and a bit marketing. But the reality is that they're a, a B testing data driven company. The data makes the decision, and Apple is the opposite of that. Apple makes decision decisions by conviction and by opinion. They have a very strong viewpoint that is well informed, right? Um, but they they're not a B testing the iPhone or they're not a B testing the AirPods. They're saying, okay, look, we're design first company. We're thinking about the problems that people have. We're trying to solve them based on our conviction and our standing of the problem. Both can work, right? But there are different approaches, and I feel like Hrefs has a bit more of an Apple-like approach where they do things by conviction and, and a bit more by, you know, learning from a different perspective than other companies that have very clear metrics and goals and test into these goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that uh, HRFs pays attention to priorities and uh, create less bad quality. And uh, uh, one more thing, they cover buy and journey. They don't try to get more traffic. They want to get uh, traffic that will sell products. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. love it. And uh, uh, you mentioned about Apple. When I check out their website, I can see simple content. I can see only iPhone uh a few words you know it's not like common thinking to write more you know to optimize with keywords apple doesn't care about that because of all the authority i don't know <laughs> and uh, i think customers don't need it you know sometimes what do you think about word count uh, i know that google denies that uh, they count any words but uh, uh how to find this balance between mm -hmm. writing words uh, and submitting to content yeah, that's a great question, Anatoly. I think this is something that's very misunderstood in SEO because the reality is that when you think about the depth of information in a piece of content, how insightful it is for the user and how, how much new information a user can take away from their content. Now, the reality is also that, that not for every topic can you provide that within 300 words. So mm -hmm. the length of an article has a strong relationship to the depth 
but the depth doesn't always have a strong relationship to the length, right? So not just yeah. because an article is longer doesn't mean it's more insightful, but mm -hmm. there are only so many insights you can convey with few words. So even like if you have a very insightful article, it, it has to be a certain length. It has to probably be longer because some topics are very complex. You need to take the time to dive deeper into them. So that, that's how I think about word count and word length. At the end of the day, I actually don't think it's a bad idea to have a high level goal of how long a piece of content should be. And then the question is what informs that and how strict are you about it, right? So, you know, I, I ran content hymns before, uh, for example, at G2. And when we aimed for 2,200 words and the article was 2,000 words, like that was mm -hmm. totally fine. We didn't care about that, right? Of course, if you aim for 2,200 and it's 800 words long, that is a bit of a, of a gap, right? What's much more important is that you cover all important subtopics, you answer the actual question that the person has, and you cover those subtopics in a way that people can gain insights out of that. And that is very difficult to quantify. There's no tool that will tell you that. There are some SEO editors that will give you an idea. And I'm, I like writing with these editors because whenever I use them or when I you know, ask teams to use them, they typically do much better than without an SEO editor. But the important key to making that successful is to not be too strict about it, but using it as a as a guideline, you know, uh, and that's when good things happen. So there is a relationship between length of content and how insightful it can be, but longer doesn't always mean that you you take out more insights. The, the quality and the depth has to be consistently good with, with longer content. Yeah. Uh, can you tell how to measure the quality? Because, you know, it's subjective. Uh, I, I might think, you know, when I, I write any content, I feel it's the best content that ever written. It's my feeling. Of course, uh, if other content creators create their content, they can feel the same, you know. So we are subjective about that. Can you tell how to measure the quality content? Yeah. Um, so th there's a so Google probably measures that in a in a quantifiable way. They probably mm -hmm. um, they can look at the entities, relationship between entities and the content, uh, what new information uh, users gain. They can, pr they're probably the the only ones that can understand this well. And every tool is just an abstraction of what Google already understands. So no tool is perfect. But if you if you ask me like how to measure quality, there are a couple of things. Uh, one is I think you can use subheadings to at least get an understanding of whether you cover all important sections. Like that's that's one thing. Um, mm -hmm. The second thing is, I think there is a lot of value in combining several metrics to understand the engagement of users with that content. So uh, you can, for example, combine scroll depth with the the time on page of a user and average that out to say, hey, seventy percent of of users scrolled all the way to the bottom and they spend five minutes of time on that article. They probably read most of that article. Even further, a little hack is that you have a lot of tools these days that can estimate how long it takes to read a piece of content, right? That's like mm -hmm. standard in WordPress with a plugin, and you can get that in most CMS. So why not compare that against the average time people spend on that article to see mm -hmm. can they have they really read all of that or have they not? And then, of course, the, the third bucket in that is the conversion or action people take after that piece of content. Do they sign up for something? Do they buy a product? Or do they sign up for the email newsletter? Or do they click through another page? 
right? So in my mind, the best way to measure quality is to have a matrix of all of these metrics and then see how they develop over time and how they apply to a piece of content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, love it. Uh, you know, uh, I often speak with, uh, speak with uh, SEO experts and some of them tell me they don't care about domain authority, about this metrics. Others can tell, no, it's good to know, to understand the level of competition. Your opinion about that? Do we need to uh, rely on domain authority because Google denies about this metric? I remember when John Miller replied to those questions, domain authority exists. He replied, yes, it's metric MOS. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, like everything in life, you can overdo things and you can, you can um, have a healthy balance about things. And the same applies to metrics. I personally, I'm a very analytical person. And I can tell you that probably every metric is flawed. Probably every mm -hmm. metric is, there's no, there's no waterproof metric, even yeah. something like ranks, right? You go in a search console, you look at the average rank of a keyword over time. And then sometimes it's a straight line. Sometimes it's like a few dots and it goes down and back up. And so, you know, you can take the average of that and take that as your rank and that can be useful. However, there's no waterproof perfect metric. So if you accept that, then you can mm -hmm. operate in a way where you let metrics guide you in the right direction, but you always apply some common sense and you always apply a little bit of critical thinking. And the best people, the best people in the industry, they understand that game perfectly. They have a strong opinion they're open to changing their opinion based on the data that they see. They look at the data on a regular basis, but they're not blind to their common sense, right? They're not blind mm -hmm. to their gut feeling, to their experience. They, they combine the two, uh, you know, like, like some frosting on a cupcake, and that makes a great cupcake. So I think, you know, no metric is the end-all, be-all. A lot of metrics can be useful and you have to be critical about them. You know, I look at keyword difficulty, I look at domain authority or page strengths or whatever metric you, you have, right? Uh, and understand where these metrics are flawed. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's mastery of the game is when you know how to interpret a certain metric and not just blindly follow it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about link building. Uh, for example, I remember when uh, Neil Patel, uh, I don't remember exactly how many years ago, but he proclaimed he uh, didn't do link building anymore uh, because uh, I think he he has this authority. He doesn't need more links uh, to uh, to rank his content. Many big websites, popular websites don't care about link building because they, they have this authority. And uh, when I told uh, uh, one of my clients uh, that your domain authority is low, you have no links, you need to earn something, uh, he replied to me, you know, Neil Patel doesn't do link building. I think he did, but uh, he doesn't anymore. Can you tell how to find this balance when you need to uh, earn such authority and when you can stop it? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and I think the answer mm -hmm. is in looking what the backlink profile looks like for other sites that compete for the same mm -hmm. topic or keyword. Um, the, my, my understanding is that backlinks are generally more important than most people say. Right. So over the last couple of years, I think Google was very successful in campaigning against backlinks or saying, ah, oh, you know, content is all you need. 
And I don't think that's always true, but it can be true sometimes, right? And I don't think there's any bad faith in Google's side, just to be clear. I don't think they're trying to deceive us or so. I think, excuse me, very broadly, I think mm -hmm. backlinks, you know, don't matter as much, but they still matter sometimes. And so the, the big question is, when does Google need to rely on backlinks as a measure? and uh, or as a signal better said and oftentimes it happens for very competitive niches or verticals so the most practical way to to approach that is to look at the backlink profile of your competitors and again no tool is perfect no tool captures all backlinks yeah. right so it's all proxy uh but look at what they have and then see how you compare against that and if you uh, you know if your if your backlink profile is quote unquote weak, weaker than your competitors and you don't rank as well as them, then that's one of the first things that I would invest into. Uh, and of course, mm -hmm. you want to make sure your content is good, right? And and you can compete from a from user intent perspective and from an experience perspective. But if all that's the case, then you would absolutely want to invest in backlinks. And so, in my mind, I think about SEO or my approach to SEO is in a in a very kind of um, comparative way, where I compare the site that I'm working on against its their competitors and um, try to rule out all the signals that matter, right? Like user intent, site hygiene, uh, core web vitals, backlinks, content. Um, and then I see where the weaknesses and where the strengths. And if I find a clear weakness while everything else is equal, then I have a strong indicator to invest in something. And then the last piece mm -hmm. of approaching that the right way, in my mind, is to test into it, right? So if, for example, I see I have a backlink gap, uh, I need to build, say, I don't know, 500 links with a certain domain authority. And maybe I build 10 links or 20 links. I want to reassess and see, did that move the needle? Did that change anything? Uh, I don't want to mm -hmm. go all the way to the 500 links, make a huge investment just to realize it didn't make a difference. But the best SEOs in my mind, they test into something iteratively. They make an investment or a change and they see what's happening. And if the trend goes in the right direction, then you can invest more and you can invest more. It's uh, it's like stock trading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, love it. Uh, can you tell how to to find the right link building strategy? We have a bunch of them, uh, many different strategies. Uh, I, I don't want to touch a black hat SEO. Uh, probably someone is good with that. I know some people who can tell it works. Okay, that's okay. Uh, you, you can do if you feel it works for you. But uh, let's talk about white hat SEO. Uh, can you tell how to find the right strategy? Because we have a bunch of different strategies. Uh, and uh, many websites uh, don't know where to start, what to do. Probably guest posting, probably skyscraper, broken and building, uh, PR campaigns. What do you think how to find the right strategy? Yeah, as you mentioned absolutely correctly, it depends on the vertical you're in. We're talking mm -hmm. about e-commerce. Like guest posting is, is still totally fine in my mind. Uh, I don't think mm -hmm. it's inherently bad, especially when you write good posts. The 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 bad side of it is if you write shallow content, you just send crappy content just to get the link, right? That's that that's that's the stuff that you want to avoid. Um, and then generally, I think one huge advantage that e-commerce has over other other industries is uh, that influencers are really strong, right? So even if somebody has, uh, even if you work with an influencer on TikTok or Instagram you can still build a landing page for the influencer campaign and maybe even you know like see what other content you can create that you can put on your site and then serve that to um you know to to uh, to or, or pitch that to other sites to write about uh, say for example you know you have an influencer campaign 
and part of, of the campaign is that you pay for the influencer to mention your product, maybe another piece of the agreement could be that that influencer does maybe like a little interview on your site and then you publish that on your blog. And ideally, there's some really cool insights about that, how that influencer maybe built their business. And then you can pitch that to maybe some publishers, right? And you can be like, hey, look, this amazing person, this famous person just has this, has this exclusive interview uh, on my site. You can you know, feel free to quote it for a backlink or use some of the statements that she made in your content and then get a link back. So I think there are all sorts of ways to um, leverage influencer marketing for backlinks, not primarily, but as a yeah. nice side effect. Yeah, it's better to create linkable content and use influence marketing. <laughs> then you can get higher. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. The, the mistake that people make is just that they separate and silo these things from SEO, right? They they run this mm -hmm. great influencer campaign, but they have nothing on their site to refer back yeah. to. So of course they're not going to capture backlinks. Yeah. Kevin, I have the question about, uh, for example, uh, if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, what will you do to learn more about SEO? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, it's practical uh, discipline. It's not a theoretical discipline. And I'm saying that as somebody who publishes a lot of uh, content, you know, a lot of uh, studies and analysis. But the reality is that the best insights come from applying SEO and doing SEO. It's like it's mm -hmm. like an applied science, as they say, right? Uh, so the best thing you can do is to start your own site. Um, when I started an SEO, I did I did a traineeship at an agency, and I was lucky because one of the first things that they forced us to do, forced that they you know asked us to do, yeah. was to to build a blog. And I, everybody mm -hmm. who starts an SEO should build their own site, whether it's a blog or a shop or affiliate, whatever it is, start something and learn from it. Right? Uh, it's it's a simple kind of feedback loop where you make a change, and you're paying attention to what happens and that's in my mind how you build great seo skills over time you just you read about some stuff right you, wherever you that's where i come into play you read uh, wherever uh and uh then you try that out and you see what happens for yourself and you create your own experience uh and if you do that diligently you can very quickly pick up on most relevant seo skills and you can build a a inventory of knowledge and experience that you can apply wherever if you work for a company if you do your own side projects if you have your own store or shop right but gain that practical experience that's that's where it comes yeah from. exactly yeah it's like to read books how to play soccer if you don't play soccer you know you can read a hundred books but without playing you can't be successful with, with that so yeah it's like we're learning it's better to practice acting yeah. uh yeah kevin i have the final question Tell about the future of SEO. What kind of future can you forecast, predict, and why you think uh, it's a good idea or not to jump in SEO field? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> uh, is it a good idea or not? Um, so future of SEO, always difficult to predict. But in my mind, what we're going to see uh, are more visuals, for sure, more images mm -hmm. and videos, especially in e-commerce. I think that game is going to change quite tremendously. Uh, so as a as a shop, you want to you know you want to invest in high quality visuals, visuals that stand out, especially when you have a product that um, you know is not super differentiated, not super unique. You want to present it in a very unique way. Um, I already mentioned video. 
it's going to become a lot more important product videos, uh, influencer stuff, review videos, uh, anything related to that. Um, and then I think there's still a lot of, um, I think we're, we're going to see more sites that that play this influencer game really well. There's an e-commerce store in Germany called About You. Um, and uh, they made it to one of the largest uh, online fashion retailers in Germany. And they play the 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 influencer game like fiddle so uh incredibly successful another great example is uh, Shein, the um the the fashion online fashion retailer from china they're valued at 100 billion dollars uh and they have really figured out how to do micro micro influencer strategies at scale um and that has worked incredibly well and if you look at their seo performance you'll notice that they don't drive any any non-brand traffic like i'm mm -hmm. like i'm talking about zero non-brand traffic and it's because their site is set up in a flawed way where they have um categories with parameter urls and and uh, i think they're they're loading in a client side rendered way so there's some technical issues preventing them from driving more non-branded traffic but they don't need it because they get a ton of brand traffic and so yeah. the part of the future of seo is going to be how to figure out how to drive more brand traffic as a positive signal to Google and as a standout in the search results so that when people look for black dress, they look for your site instead of other sites. So visuals, brands, that's that's what I think will become more important in SEO uh, in the future for sure. Yeah, so valuable. Yeah, I agree with, with that because you, uh, sometimes we don't need SEO. Some companies don't care about SEO and get uh, because they uh, put their energy efforts uh, to some channels that work well for them. So why they need to uh, care about SEO, even if SEO brings more traffic than any other channels, uh, it doesn't mean it brings more uh, customers, you know? So yeah, sure. agree with that. Yeah. Kevin, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. Uh, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, again, thanks you. Thank you, Anatoly. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation and the questions. Uh, you know, ton of fun for me. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to find and follow me, um, I'm at Kevin underscore Indig at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and my website is um, kevin-indig.com or just Google Kevin Indig and you'll uh, probably find me. Okay, guys, you need to follow Kevin. You can see a lot of valuable stuff, so valuable information, you know. Uh, I do it, I follow, I learn, uh, and uh, I will do because, yeah, it's uh, very important for me. Kevin, it's a big pleasure again, you know. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, and, uh, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and see you next time.